uh, in our morning studies. We're uh, thinking about uh, parables of Jesus, specifically from Luke's gospel. And so today we come to the uh, parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and that's found on Luke 16 and verse 19. This is God's word. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abram far away with Lazarus by his side, So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, For I have five brothers, let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abram replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abram, he said, but if somebody from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Amen. You can see the, the title of the, uh, of the sermon. It's, it's in your order of service. A great gulf, a great chasm. Um, but I think I've perhaps one thing to say uh, before I pray with you. Pay attention! Shall we pray together? Father, we do want to pay attention not just to the voice of a big bloke standing in a pulpit, but we want to pay attention to your voice. And so we pray for openness in the depths of our hearts to your voice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Yeah, well, did I get your attention? I hope so. Uh, because it seems to me that, that this section that we're looking at this morning in, in Luke chapter 16 is all about paying attention. And the great gulf that is fixed, that uh, is there towards the, the end of the passage, is actually a consequence of paying attention. And the side that we find ourselves, whichever side of that gulf we find ourselves on, at some point in the future, will depend completely on those things to which we give our attention. And the crux of this parable is, in a sense, all about listening. But, of course, it's about doing as well. Um, I only discovered this uh, picture uh, yesterday. And if I had discovered it earlier, I may well have built the whole of my sermon around it. It's uh, 17th century, I think, um, from Italian school. And it's a picture, as you can probably guess, of the rich man uh, and Lazarus. Now, one of the things that stops me from building a sermon around it is I recognize the screens are, are quite small. And some of the detail is, is actually quite important in it. So if you get a chance to look it up uh, when you go home, have a wee look at it and see if you can tease out some of the detail. Um, for example, who are the people in the background? Why are the colors as they are? Very, very interesting. So, what do we pay attention to? What does the parable say about where the rich man paid attention and didn't pay attention? Well, you can see it in, in the opening verses. What are the things that he gave attention to? Verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Those three things. And those are three markers of, of great luxury. Purple was, was very often a royal color or a noble color. Linen was the, the dress of the wealthy. Wool was uh, what uh, poor people uh, dressed in. And the idea, the phrase behind that great luxury is excessive wealth. Sumptuous is what one of the uh, other translations has. Well, of course, I'm just going to go where you're expecting me to go. Well, what about us? Uh, any markers of of where we give our attention to. Uh, when we think of, of luxury, how does that relate to, to you and me? Now, very often, where we go from here for illustrations of this is cars and houses. I'm not going to go there. Not really. I'm going to go to, to two t different places. The first one I haven't got a, a picture of because it just struck me um, uh, the other day. Towels. Because I opened the hot press to get a towel. And if there'd been an avalanche of towels, I would have been killed. <laughs> I would. I would. How many towels do you have in your house? This is going to be very embarrassing. Am I, am, are we the only one with dozens? <laughs> we just seem to have towels all over the place. And then, then the other one, you want to make a cup of coffee when you go home. Well, if you come to our house, you've got four options. There's actually a fifth option that I'd, I'd forgotten about. 
And one of those options we have four versions of. It's only a cup of coffee, for goodness sake. Yet, why do we have at least four, well, five different ways of making coffee? Why? Well, in a a sense, it's because we can. Because we can afford to have different methods of, of having coffee. Is it necessary? Really? No, really, is it necessary? Of course it isn't. I've uh, given the illustration before of many, many moons ago when we went shopping in, in East Africa. It was very simple. You went into the shop and you bought rice or you bought coffee or sugar. Very simple. No decisions to make. Yeah, you can see where I'm going with that, can't you? You can, you can do it yourself. Go in to see Mr. Tesco or Mr. Sainsbury. We live in degrees of luxury unimaginable in many parts of the world. And more than that, degrees of luxury unimaginable to our forefathers. And not that long ago, a quick show of hands again. I may as well be embarrassed, I suppose. You remember way back when you were a child, did you have a fridge? Quick show of hands of those who didn't have a fridge. You see, that's more than half of us, folks. And the other half are saying, you didn't have a fridge? (laughs) 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 What's that about? (laughs) I need to even mention this thing beside me. Yeah. Unimaginable luxury. To what do we give our attention? Stuff is the word. Just like this man. We're on that side of the table. We're not outside with the beggar. We're with the rich man. I read a book um, a few months ago now uh, called Stuffocation. And you can see the wordplay there. Stuffocation. Stuff and suffocation. And it didn't actually say what I thought it was going to say. I thought it was going to say we were being suffocated by stuff. And it did start out that way. But it pointed out a new trend that's actually um, much more applicable to to many young people, and I guess to, to, to many of us who aren't so young as well. And that's the transfer from a desire for stuff, because actually many of us are saying, you know, I've got enough. I, I really don't need to spend any, any money on, on more stuff. In fact, quite a number of us are saying, I've got too much stuff, and we're getting rid of stuff, and maybe that's you. So what are we looking for? What are we paying attention to these days? Um, Here's my favorite. We're paying attention to experiences. We want to experience things. We want to go to new places, do new things, eat new food, try new things. And we spend our money doing that. We pay attention to that. Because many people have been there but we haven't been there. We've done that, but we haven't done that. That's more exciting. Uh, Just Google extreme ironing when you get home. That's what that's about. Some people are saying, I want to to iron something in the most extreme places. Uh, There's a lot of hilarious stuff. But even that's not enough for many people. And here, 
we are back to, to a changing generation because we're now in a place of, what do we call it? Virtual reality. That's the one on the left where you can put on the goggles and you can see yourself in a completely different place. Or on the right, what's known as augmented reality, where on your tablet or your smartphone, you can look around a room, an empty room, and you can see what that room would look like with this furniture in it. Or you can watch a sporting occasion. And as you watch the sporting occasion through uh, various types of glasses, you watch what's happening on the field. And you get this player's name coming up opposite him. And you get the statistics for how much possession has been in this part of the field and that part of the field. Reality just isn't good enough anymore. We need augmented reality in this lust for experiences. So we pay attention to stuff. We pay attention to experiences. Take it on a wee bit farther. We pay attention to image, don't we? Well, it's the images that we take of ourselves or the images whereby we manipulate our faces or other parts of our body. I suppose another type of augmented reality, isn't it? Um, that, if I'm right, is Jodie Marsh. Ring any bells? Who seems to be pleasant enough looking to me, but in her opinion, she, she wasn't. Um, sorry, I'm just struggling to remember her name. Gianni Versace's sister. Help me, somebody. Donatella. Everybody knew that. Everybody knew that. Donatella Versace. Yeah. If you know Donatella Versace, just have a wee look. Have a look at what she looked like 20 years ago. Have a look at the most recent picture. Tragic. But that's, of course, when it goes wrong. We, in many different ways, pay attention to what people think of us. Don't we? And, of course, well, I may as well get, get the obvious one in. Things like, like what we drive. We pay attention to, to our image. But then we also pay attention to our status. Now, oh, sorry, I moved on too, too quickly from that. My, my apologies. We pay attention to, to our status. In other words, what other people think of us. Image, what I think about me. Status, what other people think about me. Yeah? I don't need to labor the point, do I? I think it's straightforward enough. Then the question becomes, what do we not pay attention to? If the rich man was all caught up in himself, and that's nice and straightforward, well, we know in the parable what he wasn't paying attention to. He wasn't paying attention to the poor man outside his gate. Again, if you go back to that um, picture that I showed you at the beginning, Look at the eye lines of all of the people. Where are they? They're all in towards themselves. And the poor man is off to one side. We simply don't pay attention. Now, when I'm talking about the poor, or poor people, what do I mean? Let's make sure we have an expansive definition of, the, of poverty. Because poverty today is defined very, very differently 
from how it used to be defined. And we want to have an inclusive definition. So I'm going to suggest a bigger definition than just financial poverty. To be sure it is financial poverty we're talking about here. Let's not try and, uh, and bluff it. But we're also talking about people who are alienated. We're talking about the outsider. And you can see that quite clearly in the parable itself. He was outside the gate. We're talking about the person who doesn't fit in. We're talking about the immigrant. We're talking about those who suffer with mental health difficulties, and we'd rather just like to shy away from them. We talk about those who are physically disabled and, and are just a nuisance to us. We talk about those who are old, and we wish they'd just flitter off to somewhere else. We talk about those who are young and are a nuisance to us, for those who aren't really as good-looking as we want them to be, for those who are, burden, are a burden because they're not well, for those who just aren't cool enough to be part of our group. We're talking about all those to whom we say, stay outside. And Jesus is saying to us here in this parable, you must pay attention to these folk. You cannot be like the rich man who just says, go away. Well, let's, let's tease that out in a little bit more detail. What does it mean to pay attention? We should pay attention, and I'm going to have a number of withs. The first one is dead obvious, and is perhaps the, the easiest one. We should pay attention with generosity. You'll know as well as I do that in the Old Testament, the tithe was pretty much the, the, the norm. A tenth of one's income or a tenth of one's crop was given directly back to God. Now, I have a number of, of references that I'm not going to take time to go, to go into, many of them from Deuteronomy. If you want them, I can, I can give them to you afterwards. But Deuteronomy 15, for example, talks about celebrating in every jubilee year. And as you celebrate in every jubilee year, you give back to the person who has had to sell his land to make ends meet. You give it back to him because that's the structure of the law. The law was a generous thing. And I sometimes wonder how our laws are constructed. Well, more about that later. Generosity. Yes, we give with generosity. You don't need me to say any more about that. Just take a wee check when you go home. What fraction of my income do I give generously? It's always worth a wee look every now and again, isn't it? Yes, it is. What about that one? We should pay attention with rage. Now, there's a fantastic sidetrack coming here if you want. And if you want to talk about it over coffee, I'm quite happy to do that. What did you think about Paddy? Yeah, Paddy Jackson. Yeah, if you were following the story, not, not only, only Paddy, but a couple of others were, were involved as well. What did you think about that? What did you think about the response to it? Now, um, <laughs> yes, I, you can see I'm tempted. You can see, can't you? Let me just say this, and then you can, you can chat with me afterwards. I think what happened yesterday was an awful own goal for the feminist cause. I think they snatched 
defeat out of the jaws of victory. But bless them, what many of the women were saying, I was absolutely right there with them. They were just furious. And I wonder if sometimes we don't get furious enough with the injustice that we see in society. Leave that example to one side. I wonder, do we not get angry enough when we see the wealthier getting wealthy, wealthier, wealthy getting wealthier, and the poor getting poorer? When we see laws put in place that help that? When we see restrictions on business put in place that help that? I, again, please, I just don't want to get sidetracked, but it, it's just such an easy one, isn't it? When we look across the Atlantic and we see some of the ways that uh, our friends across the Atlantic are going, and you just wonder. As Christians, we have a strong heritage that we come into of our forefathers getting livid about social injustice and doing something about it. Let's make sure that we're doing exactly the same thing. And then we pay attention with openness. This is just the right day for this sermon, isn't it? Yep. This is just the right day. Yep. Because we have lunch today. Guess who's coming to dinner? Fantastic. I, I think it's a fabulous idea. It's a fantastic idea. Do you remember the film of the same name? Well, roughly the same name? Yeah? Anybody remember from donkey's years ago? Guess who's coming to dinner? Sidney Poitier, if I remember rightly. Yeah? Again, take that on yourselves. Where does that go? To whom are we hospitable? As a fellowship, as individuals, at work, in our group of friends at school, who do we welcome in? Do we welcome in that new kid at school whom nobody else is paying any attention to because they're not cool enough, they're not sporty enough, they're not musical enough, they're just not? Are we welcoming them? Or the colleague at work who really is a bit of a pain in the neck? And that's why he's an outsider. We pay attention with generosity, with rage, with openness. But one more. Curious little verse, that, isn't it, that occurs earlier in Luke's gospel. Matthew's version uh, that Jesus used at another time is slightly different, but this is really strong, isn't it? Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Think about it. When we turn away from those who are poor, when we shift our attention to all the stuff that, that we've talked about at the start, is Jesus really saying you're looking away from the kingdom? Because that's what he seems to be saying. Turn your attention away from those who are poor, and you turn your attention away from the kingdom of God. Wow. How on earth can that be? Well, I wonder if we should be listening to the poor, because the poor have many things that they can say to us. Let me just give you a couple. You can be happy without all that stuff they say to us. Really living by faith without having the security that all of the stuff buys, you know, that is possible. They say, 
you know, you don't have to be in control of your life to be at ease. You don't. They say, actually, not having enough, it's okay, you know. You can live with it. Pay attention, Jesus says. Pay attention. I'm going to just run through this very quickly. Pay attention to the Bible. This is when we come to the end of the parable. And the, the rich man asks for someone to, for Lazarus to come and dip uh, his, his finger and, and give, uh, give him a little drink. No, that's not possible. Well, what about somebody going back to warn my brothers at home? Because they're coming the same way. And what's Abraham's response? No, no. They have the Old Testament, the Bible. They have God's Word. They've got the law and the prophets. And the implication, of course, is there, and you fella, you had them as well. You didn't pay attention. And the rich man, does he get this or doesn't he? Well, we don't know, but certainly Jesus is saying to us here, Pay attention to the Bible. Pay attention to the Old Testament law. Because in the Old Testament law, social justice is central to being human. Why? Because we are created in the image of God. We are created as social creatures. We are created together. God is, if you like, social. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are created in His image. We are created social. We are part of each other whether we like it or not. And the Old Testament law in many ways demonstrates that. It shows it. And then when you go to the prophets, oh, sorry, when you come into to the New Testament, into the gospel, social justice is essential to being a Christian as well. It's not just Old Testament. There is one body. Look at 1 Corinthians, especially chapter 12. And Paul says this quite clearly. It's not the big spectacular gifts that we ought to treat uh, with, with reverence and awe, but the gifts that are not so spectacular, that are the gifts of the spiritually less upfront, that are easily ignored, those are crucial. Same thing. Exactly the same thing. So Old Testament and New Testament, we're being told, don't ignore the people whom everyone else ignores. And of course, when they come to the prophets, you've got this, this line of thinking time and time and time again. Have a look, if you want, at Amos for the bad news, at Isaiah for the good news. You abuse the poor, you will be judged. You honor the poor, there will be blessing. And when God gives us a picture of what the world will be like when He comes back again and makes all things new, what's wiped away? Poverty. And in the New Testament, we have the same thing. Because the New Testament gospel is not always a pleasant gospel. I, when I preach, I normally like to preach positively and to say positive things and, and to, to send us out with our heads up and, and ready to take on the world. But you have to say the bad stuff as well, don't you? You have to say that we will only die once, and after death is judgment, and there's no other way around that. 
It is very, very simple, very straightforward, not hard to understand. That's where this parable leaves us. And our response in terms of social justice, our response in terms of inclusion, our response in terms of the poor and the alienated and the one who has no position, the one whom everyone else ignores, our response to that is part of the basis upon which God will judge us. Simple. The good news, of course, is that the other thing to which our attention is called, the law, the prophets, and the resurrected one. When Luke originally wrote his gospel, he was writing to a group of people who would have heard this parable a little bit differently than they would have heard it when Jesus spoke. When Jesus spoke, the rich man says, but if someone comes, comes from the dead and tells my brothers, they listen. And everybody would have thought, ah, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I remember Saul in the Old Testament and Solomon coming to him in a dream. I remember a vision in the Old Testament where the dead speaks. Or some might have said, well, what about people who were raised from the dead, the, the widow of Nain's son? Or what about what Jesus has done? Is it a coincidence that Lazarus is the name of the only named person in a parable? So that's the sort of thing that they would have thought of when Jesus was speaking. But when Luke's writing, everyone who reads it says, now I get it. Yes. And we do as well, don't we? Yeah. Don't we? Because the resurrected one is the one who fulfilled the Old Testament law. The resurrected one is the one who was spoken about by the prophets. And the resurrected one is the one who knows that death is not the ultimate end, as he was saying in this parable. Yes, it's the end of life here, but beyond that is sitting on Abraham's lap in fire. Dead simple. Have a look at it when you go home. See if you can identify the various people. See if you can identify what the artist is saying by his use of color and imagery, the, the pillars and so on and so on. And then have a wee go at this. Put yourself in the picture. Where are you? What are you doing? Let's pray together. Gracious God, your word stirs our hearts, sometimes with joy and overflowing, abundant praise. Sometimes with a feeling that's actually closer to the pit of our stomach than our heart, because it's a harsh word. 
And yet even the harshest of your words comes with an accent of love and with the fragrance of grace and with the light of your offer of new life in all of its fullness. So teach us, Lord, to pay attention, to really pay attention. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.